Hello one and all and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Yes, we are here and we are live at some point in time doing a show. And I have very, very mixed emotions going into this show. And we'll talk about one of them right here, but we'll talk about the one towards the end of the show because I don't think I'll be able to get through it if I do it now. So I think I'm going to try and get that in at the end. I'm not going to try. I'm going to get it in at the end of the show. But for the beginning of the show, we have to talk about the United States is in the final for the 2021 Gold Cup. Yes, they have defeated Qatar. And would you believe it? Would you believe me if I said the score ended 1-0? <laughs> would, you, would you believe me if I told you that another United States score ended up 1-0? Yes, four out of the United States, five games they have played, have ended by a combined score of four to nothing. <laughs> that one game, that one game that was not in there, they scored six. whoop de doo You scored six goals against a team that can't even compete for a World Cup. Congratulations on scoring six against them. And if, if you didn't score that many goals, it would have been seen as kind of a disappointment. I said three nothing the final. Either way, they were going to kill Martinique, regardless of what type of team they put out there, which is why Burhalter played the kids. Played the kids who have little to no experience, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing because you don't know the expectation, you don't know the, the circumstance you're in, you just go out there and play. The weight doesn't crush you as much, you just go out there carefree. Now, the weight of this game was not very high, again, against Martinique. But as you get all along in the gold cup, geez, sorry, you get to play the tougher teams. You ended on a group game with Canada. Knockout stage, get to the knockout stage, win group A, or group B. Then you get to play Jamaica. Who is your toughest opponent up until that point? Jamaica is a better team than Canada. If Canada brought, if Alfonso Davies was there, and if Jonathan David was there, and if Kyle Laren was there, they would be better than Jamaica. But Jamaica has a better goalkeeper. In regards to talent on this current roster, Jamaica has a better, their best player is better than Jamaica's best player. I would say Jamaica's best player is Leon Bailey. Even though he didn't play, their best player is still better than Canada's, who is Junior Hoylette, I would say. Again, this is without Kyle Laren on the team, without Alfonso Davies, without Jonathan David. And Leon Bailey was still on the squad. He was still registered on the bench. Kyle Laren and Io Ekinola, who both got injured in that United States game, were out of the tournament. Leon Bailey did not know he was out of the tournament until that final whistle blew against the United States. No one knew he was out for the rest of the tournament until that final whistle blew. But yeah, Jamaica, I believe, would beat Canada if they were to play. But can't that shouldn't be a disrespect to Canada at all. It's more of a testament to how good I think Jamaica is when it comes to Gold Cups. And Canada has a real opportunity tonight to make it to a final. Yes, they are playing Mexico. The game is going on right now. The score is 0-0 at this point in time. That could That's going to obviously adjust. We're in the 38th minute, 0-0 Mexico-Canada. But yeah, all that matters is that United States of America are in the final off. Again, a 1-0 win. Off a Jayassi Zardes goal, off a Christian Roldan assist, I believe. No, Nicholas Giacchini assist. Fun game. Very, very fun game. For being one nothing, you get different kind of feelings in each game with one nothing. Like the game against Canada was a different one nothing scoreline than the game against Jamaica, and the game against Qatar was different than the game against Jamaica and Canada. There was pushing all over the place. I loved seeing Kellen Acosta get in the face of players for, for Qatar. And then. Qatar is going on attack. United States tries to counterattack, not as well as Qatar. Qatar put a lot more chances on that. Matt Turner, man of the match, by far, made a couple amazing saves to the United States. That pretty much saved, pun intended, saved the United States in that regard. Like, the fingertip saved. He had, when it was deflected off, well, not, well, yeah, the one James Stans almost put in his back of his own net, played it back on target. Matt Turner had to jump to his aid there. And then James Stans also gives up the penalty. And I hated how much they actually talked about that, acting like there was a chance it wouldn't have been given a penalty. That was a penalty every stand. <laughs> what I saw the penalty when it first happened. I was watching with my friend Noah, and we're watching the game like, oh, that's a penalty. That's a penalty. I'm surprised they haven't called that yet. That's a penalty. That's a penalty. And then they showed the replay, because it's one of those situations where a player goes down in the box, you're in two minds like, oh, penalty or not. You don't really think about that in the middle of the field that often, you're like, okay, maybe he fouled him, maybe he did maybe it's a tangle legs. Well, you're in the penalty box, and no, there could be something on the line if you get a foul here. Your mind goes, 
that's a penalty. That's a penalty. That's a, but no matter what side of the coin you're on, if it's your team or not, your mind instantly goes to, that's a penalty. Oh my god, that's a penalty. Now there's the odd case of having an amazing tackle in there. James Sands did not put an amazing tackle. Clear penalty. Clear penalty. Stuart Holden and the announcers and the uh, John Doctor, whatever the whatever the hell the video ref, not video ref, the studio ref is whatever. James Sands didn't get a touch on the ball. <laughs> I don't know why they were saying like, what if he got a little bit? He might have gotten a little touch on the ball, or he got enough touch on the ball to make that not a clear and obvious error. No, that was a clear and obvious error. That was a penalty. I don't know if the ref didn't call it at first because he was right there. Maybe he was looking at the side of a thief when Sands came in and just came. Just took him out, pretty much. But I was even yelling at the TV. And I'm cheering for the United States. I'm American. I'm cheering for the United States. Even I was like, okay, we got to stop talking like this isn't a penalty. Clear penalty. Penalty by every sense, every sense of the word. And then Kellen Acosta got in a fight, yelling, yelling match with one of the players for guitar. Again, it was a constant thing throughout the entirety of the game. Great stuff from him. And then El Haidos, the captain, the most capped player in guitar's history, steps up to take a penalty. I didn't know this, but he did. I knew he took a penalty in the first game, but I didn't know he panenked it, which for those of you who are unaware, it's basically just chipping it right down the middle. So if the goalie just stands still, he saves it, and you look like a freaking idiot. You're standing there. You're, you decide to chip it down the middle. Go look up Lookman, Adam Ola Lookman's penalty for Fulham. It is one of the worst penalties you will ever see. He tried to panenk it, but basically got it like an inch or two off the ground I don't even remember who Fulham was playing, but it was for the win or the tie. Like, it was a big penalty. It wasn't like they were up 4 nothing and that one would get them up the 5. No. This was a big-time penalty. And he fluffed it. Right down the middle. Saved easily. But look up that one. If you want to see a terrible... There's two terrible Panankas here. The one tonight with Qatar, who it looked like he got caught in two mines. Matt Turner dove the wrong way. So if he didn't put it on target, or put it in the back of the net, or put it on the net, he scores the goal. Matt Turner was diving to his left. Haidu, uh, Al Haidu, ah, jeez. Al Haidu's right. Like, Turner was not saving it. And he shanked it. All, it was over the bar. Over, clear over the bar. Never had a chance of going in. Like, that's your most capped player of all time. In the last four penalties that I can, no, five. Because I think Ricardo Rodriguez scored a penalty against the United, when they were playing the United States when he was playing for Switzerland. I think he did score a penalty there. Because Switzerland won 2-1, right? And Ricardo Rodriguez scored a penalty. I can't, whatever. Out of the last five penalty attempts, the United States has either saved or the player has missed three of them. That is an excellent return on penalties. Ethan Horvath saved the one against Andres Guadrado, one of the most memorable United States penalty saves ever, which shot Ethan Horvath's stock through the freaking roof like we didn't just remember that he has not played for Club Bruges in a freaking long time, and we romanticized the penalty that he's the next best goalkeeper for the United States. Matt Turner, good Lord, is pushing Zach Steffen. Is really pushing him. Zach better get a move fast because he's getting pressured a lot by Matt Turner. Turner played great in this game. He has allowed one goal this entire tournament. Now, to be like, if I'm being the hater or whatever for this group, if I'm being the, the critic for this tournament, the United States has really up and like they played uh, Kyle Laren, Alamos Ali, Alamos Ali, and a thief, and then I guess Bobby Moore, Andre Gray, Burke for Jamaica, was it Rich Shamar Richardson for Jamaica, Duggins Nazal, Duggins Nazan, like you weren't playing world beating strikers, but good strikers. And the United States allowed one goal. And it was Emmanuel Riviera who scored a freaking penalty. Who just froze Matt Turner. But man, Matt Turner is playing very, very well. And I, the conversation, we kind of talked about this in the last show. And we talked about it in the preview that we had for the Qatar game. Which blew up. And I thank all of you for watching that video and giving it a thumbs up. I greatly appreciate it. We've gained subscribers, which is always fantastic to see on the YouTube channel. We'll have another video ready for you. Yeah, we got another Gold Cup video ready for you because the United States is on to the freaking final. Now again, we'll have to wait till after tonight so you guys will know who won the game between between Canada and Mexico. I will not. Well, I will probably by the end of the show. It's 45th minute or 44th minute. We're almost at halftime. Still 0-0 between Canada and Mexico. But man, I love I loved these types of games. Yes, it wasn't the most high-scoring game 
and the average soccer denier, soccer hater, whatever you want to call them, they will go, well, that was boring. It was one nothing. Oh, one nothing. Oh, zero zero. Oh, one nothing till the 80 something minute. Oh, boring. There was action all throughout the game. There was a lot of fouls in this game. It was getting really chippy, which is very nice to see. Love seeing fight from players. Love seeing that. Weston McKinney has the most fight out of any player on this United States team. He's not even playing in this game, but him and Pulisic do not back down from anybody. And that's freaking awesome. Like Pulisic's shushing Mexico's fans and getting beer thrown at him. It's freaking awesome. Well, he's shirtless wearing the captain's armband while he just smashed a penalty home against Guillermo Ochoa to win a freaking trophy. That's awesome. While you're freaking captain, most cat player of all time, if I remember, no, second most cat player of all time, if I think, if I remember right, misses a penalty against backup club Bruce goalie Ethan Horvath. Man. Backup United States, now third string United States goalie? Good Lord. Matt Turner, great stuff. Easily the number two goalie. There is a gap between second and third now, and that gap between Stefan and Turner is closing very fast. Stefan <laughs> better get his ass back to the United States and play for the national team, but he's got the commitments to City. I'm not discre- I'm not going to say anything about his City commitments. He's going to be playing for the World Cup qualifiers, which are coming up in September, so he'll have that to be ready for, but man, Turner's playing great. Matt Turner, a few years ago, we talked about this a few times, about how that that post that was made on MLSsoccer.com about Matt Turner's ahead of Zach Steffen at this point in time, where Zach Steffen was, even though he's older than Zach Steffen, like that makes a ton of sense, but Turner, he's pushing him. I didn't think the gap was that close before the tournament started, but man, Matt Turner's had himself a fantastic tournament. I'm not even... Ju- like, you can watch the tournament yourself and see that. Now, in this game alone, yes, Turner was the best player, but there were some bad performances as well. DK did not play very well. I still think he's recovering from that injury he talked about against Canada. I don't know why he started this game. I was really confused. Or not confused, because I like Daryl DK a lot. But you can tell he wasn't really that healthy in the last game. So why did you start him in this game? Why have you started him at all? He could come off the bench, but he's got some like wrap or something on his shoulder. You could see it a little bit when he when his jersey would slide up. You could see like a tiny little strap there. So I don't know if he dislocated his shoulder or popped his shoulder. I don't know what he did to his shoulder, but I would fully expect, especially with Zardes scoring the goal, DK's health plus Zardes scoring the goal against Qatar means he probably should start this next game against either Mexico or Canada. That's my take on it. I said it would be, I mean, this isn't a, this doesn't take a lot to predict, but it was going to be either Zardes or DK at the striker position. Hoppy is playing out of position. Maybe Hoppy goes play striker for this next game. I doubt it because again, Zardes scored the goal. But they did do the thing that I talked about. They brought in Shaq, or brought out Shaq Moore, brought in Reggie Cannon at the 60th minute. That's the thing that they're going to keep doing. It's worked to this point. Reggie Cannon might not be 100% healthy. And I think for the rest of the tournament, we'll see Shaq Moore still start. Sands did not play good. As we talked about earlier, gave up the penalty, almost got, scored an own goal. He is not natural in a two in a back two, like a back four with the two center backs. He looks very uncomfortable. This is similarly, and this is, I know on the face of it, people might not take this the right way. Like, just as an example, I called Brees Hall when I was doing an internship for Colin Company. I called Brees Hall Adrian Peterson. I was talking about how he plays the game, called him something similar to Adrian Peterson. I'm not saying he is, I'm saying he plays similarly to him. And that got taken as an insult because I was talking about how he can't catch. It was more of, I kind of got, I got flubbed up in my words a little bit. I should have worded it a lot differently. I do think he compares to Adrian Peterson. It's not that he can't catch. There is a reason they're not using him in the past game, which is why I have not ranked him in a first round, that and the amount of carries he gets. And it's not, I'm not doing this how I would do it. I can have my own rankings, but when I do a draft, it's not how I would do it. It's how I think the player, the teams will do it. Like, could you have told me before the draft or that you could look at the skill set of Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Urgelaire and know that even though Jonathan Taylor is better, we knew this going into the draft, Clyde Urgelaire does things that Jonathan Taylor either doesn't or can't. And the main thing in that is versatility. Being able to make plays out of the backfield. Jonathan Taylor is a very heavy run-oriented run oriented running back. Brees Hall is the same way. That's why you see likes of Isaiah Taylor, who has, yes, less yards than Brees Hall, 
but less carries and more action in the passing game. That's what you kind of get in those rankings. I don't know why we're in this this whole spiel. We'll get more of this on Monday because remember I talked about, well, we'll have the U.S. thinks the U.S. will play in the final on Sunday in Las Vegas, so you can tune into that. But what I was originally talking about with this might sound like an insult, when it's it can be, I guess. He reminds me a lot of David Luiz. He's not a natural back two center back. In the video against Qatar, I didn't. I said he didn't look out of place. He is not natural there, though. There is a difference in saying that. You can look in place, but you don't. He just does not look natural. He's not a center back. He's a defensive midfielder, but he's played great to this tournament in the back three. So, do you see a Henry Kessler slip into the starting lineup and play him as a third center back again? Maybe. That was my alternate lineup when I released the the video against Guitar, but Sands looks weird in a back two. He makes more mistakes in the back two than he did in the back three because he's pushed a lot farther up in the back three. He's allowed to push farther up. He's allowed to be a little bit more versatile in his plays. His spring passes all across the field. That's what you get with James Sands. In a back two, it doesn't work like that because Shaq Moore is bombing up the field. James Sands has to defend a lot more. He can't press as much as he wants to, and in return, he gets caught out a little bit more. It's not saying he's a bad player or a bad defender. He's just not a natural for a back four center back. And that's okay. You can be a great back three center back. David Luiz is that. And David Luiz at one point was the most expensive defender in the world of all time. (laughs) Not just in the world, ever. Most expensive defender ever when he transferred from Chelsea to PSG. And then went back to Chelsea and played in the back three and looked like one of the best center backs in the world. And then played in the back two and looks off again. Because he's not a natural center back. Yes, he plays there, but in the back three, that's where he's the best. That's the same thing with James Sands. It shouldn't be seen as an insult because David Luiz, on his day, is a great defender. Now, he does have the odd error in him. James Sands does that too. You saw that a couple times against Qatar. You saw that a couple times against Jamaica. When he's in this back two, sure, he can kind of hold his own, but he's not natural there. I'm not trying to insult him because I think he's very good. I think he definitely has a future in this national team. Maybe not as a starter, but a good squad player. I don't think he'd be able to start in a back two with John Brooks. If the United States played a back three like they did against Mexico in the CONCACAF Nation League final, then sure, do that. Play Sands at that middle center back, John Brooks at the left side center back, and then Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, Mark McKenzie, Aaron Long. Who else? So Just anybody at that right side center back? Walker Zimmerman? You're good. And then DeAndre, or, uh, Serginho Dest, Antti Robinson, Shaq Moore, Reggie Cannon, DeAndre Yedlin, Sam Vines, if you're feeling frisky, can go there. You play a front three of Pulisic, Zardes, DK, Hoppy, <laughs> um, whoever else I haven't said, Sargent, I think. Reyna at right wing, and then Pul- uh, McKinney and Adams in midfield with Stefan or Turner in goal. That's a good lineup right there. Sands is perfect for that middle center back spot. What you don't get in a back two. I've been saying that. I said that a lot tonight when I was watching the game. I kept saying back two. I've been meaning the two center backs. Back four in the two center back system. Okay? Hopefully that makes enough sense. But in this next game, I don't know if they'll go back to that back three. Because against Canada in in the qualifying game, or not qualifying game, the, the group deciding game in Kansas City, the United States went to a back three. And it worked out very, very well. Obviously, they got the goal. Now they weren't pressing as high. Walker Zimmerman got hurt. They had one shot on net, which was the goal. So again, if you (laughs) missed that first 20 seconds, you missed pretty much the rest of the game. But yeah. Hey, you know what? I've been saying this the entire tournament, and that's all. this is all that really matters. In a tournament, that's the word, tournament, you just need to win. They haven't played a single extra time game. I mean, in two games, I guess. <laughs> they haven't taken... There hasn't been a lot of stressful games. When they've gone up by one, they have not... There hasn't been a lot of times where you've gone like, oh my god, oh my god. Like, when they scored the goal tonight, Qatar didn't really do a lot. The United States had more opportunities to score than Qatar did. They just went off to the corner. So, I think they're defensively, they are fine. Offensively... Could do some work. But we knew this going into the tournament. They have no natural wingers. Jonathan Lewis is not it. <laughs> we knew that after the first game. Notice he started that first game. Hasn't played a single minute of the Gold Cup since that game. Even in the game against Martinique. Did not play a single minute. 
And we predicted he'd start that first game. But he did next to nothing useless on that thing. And Hoppy's played very well. He's playing out of position. There was a ball he played in the DK in the box that DK should have scored. It's like, you have to try and not score that. Like, Hoppy played a beautiful curling ball on the ground to a streaking DK who just played it right to the leg of the goalkeeper. Now, I think he was trying to go between his legs, but he placed it too far to his left. The goalie's right, DK's left. But yeah, Hoppy played well enough, I guess. Not the same, he didn't have the same impact that he did against Jamaica. Jamaica, he's damn near unplayable, but he was not, he was still fine. Areola was good at drawing some fouls in the midfield or from on that wing. Bustio was back on free kicks, which was awesome to see until he got out. And then, sadly, we had to see Sebastian Legette back on free kicks. Kellen Acosta did not take them, which was very upsetting. But yeah, you got the dub. You stopped the highest goal-scoring team in the Gold Cup from scoring a goal. Like, that's all you need. <laughs> and you won. You won the game. That's all that really matters. I would lo- I'm interested to see what he does, though, in the next game for the starting lineup-wise. If he goes to the back five or back three... If he goes with DK or Zardes up top, I think Hoppy's on. I think the players that are guaranteed to keep their spots are Turner, Shaq Moore, Sands, Robinson, Vines, Acosta, Busio, Legette, Hoppy. So nine of the eleven players. I'm not naming Ariola because I don't know if he'll go to the back back five again, which means they'd go to a five three two. Maybe he goes to a five two three, but I really doubt it. So Ariola would be out. And I don't know who's starting between Zardes and DK. Everybody else, I think, has got their spot locked in. So that's just how I'm looking at it now. And when the tournament is done and dusted, and we'll have a whole preview for the United States and Mexico game coming up, it's a, it's a weird schedule. Usually I'll have the video up and ready before the show goes out, like a day before. But with the game happening on a Thursday, show getting recorded on a Thursday... And the game happening on Sunday, it makes things very difficult to try and schedule recordings like that. So we'll have the video out hopefully by Saturday. Or not hopefully, we'll have it out by Saturday. Saturday midday, probably around noon, Saturday. So you only have less than, you'll have a day and a half to watch this awesome video that we'll have constructed. But once the tournament is done, I'm planning on doing a Gold Cup recap and talking about the players that I think did enough to make their faces known in the 2022 World Cup squad. Because you've got, like, the lock players, like the starting lineup that you're going to have against uh, Canada or Mexico. you got Pool 6, a lock. Adams is a lock. McKinney's a lock. Uh, John Brooks is a lock. Serginio Dest is a lock. Anthony Robinson's pretty much a lock. Zach Steffen's a lock. Like, just to make the squad, I guess. Not starting. I was going through a starting lineup, but to make the squad, I guess. Brendan Aronson's a lock. Who else is really a lock? And then the rest of the team will get filled. Giovanni Reina, I don't know if I mentioned him or not. Lock. Sargent's going to be a lock. So you got like a few players that are guaranteed to go to the team. And you're going to have these players that played well in this tournament. Namely, James Sands up until the last two games. But that's playing in an unnatural position for him. So he's young. He'll figure it out. James Sands, Miles Robinson, Shaq Moore, Matt Turner. DK Zardes are locks to go to the World Cup as well. Hoppy should be a lock to go to the world. So you got seven players at least that I can think of off the top of my head that I think are close to locks or are locks for the World Cup. And the best part about it is you've got Pulisic, Reina, and Aronson, and Hoppy. So you got four people that can play the wings. The United States is not loaded in depth with natural wingers. Like you've got some good wingers out there, like Chris Mueller, to name one of them. But is he really good enough to play in the A team? Probably not. But I don't know. What do I know? I'm not Greg Berhalter. I'm not the manager. There's a reason I'm not a manager. So I don't know what he's going to pick. I try to put my head inside of Greg Berhalter's to try and figure out what he would do. And yeah, it's worked to a certain extent. The only game I've got really wrong was the game against Martinique. That's the only lineup I've gotten really, really wrong. Where he ran a back five and I said he'd run a 4-3-3. It didn't work out like that. <laughs> but hey. What can you do? I've gotten most of the other lineups right. I think I've been one player off in every single lineup up until that, other than that game. And they've been players that I said would start anyways. Like, the Busio thing against Canada. DK and Zard, as I said, was 50-50 on for Qatar. Jamaica, was there any... Oh, I got that lineup wrong, too. I said they'd run a 5-3-2. I thought they'd run pretty much the same team that they had against Canada, but with Donovan Pines 
at center back. They did not do that at all. They ran a 4-3-3 with Hoppy on the wing and Areola back in the team. Mainly it was because I didn't know if Areola was going to be back or not. If Areola, if I knew he was back, he would start because Burhalter really likes Paul Areola, it seems like. So maybe Areola's a lock. Maybe. Jackson Ewell's no longer a lock. I think Busio's definitely passed him in the pecking order. He's another, he's, Jack, he's Will Trap 2.0 pretty much. Burhalter likes him, plays someone better, and then we'll probably never see Ewell in the team ever again. <laughs> he might be in the team of like some weird qualifying game, or not qualifying games, but like games that don't really matter, just plain old international friendlies. When like the big boys are at their clubs playing, <laughs> he gets called up similarly to Will Trap, probably be the captain every once in a while. I don't know. I'm not him. I'm not him. I'm not going to try and pick a team. But sticking on the topic of another football, American football, and before we go, United or Mexico is up one nothing against Canada right now. Pineda scored a penalty in the 47th minute to take the lead against Canada. So we might be seeing yet another United States versus Canada matchup in the final. This is the United States. I forgot to mention this. The United States' 12th final appearance. Crazy. They've won six. They've made 12 finals. They're 50% right now. Get over the 50%. Get the seventh final. Get seven for 12. That'd be really nice. Very cool stuff there. Mexico would obviously be going for number nine. Canada would be going for number two. So, yeah. Moving on to American football. I thought I'd get that little tidbit in before I started going in on American football. We're not gonna, I'm going to try and not talk about the Big 12 as much because I think I'm just beating a dead horse at this point. But there's stuff you got to talk about. Like, they voted unanimously. Pretty much, the SEC unanimously extended to votes unanimously to extend invitations to Big 12 co-founders Oklahoma and Texas to join their league. Yep, and they got till 2025. So this is kind of just blowing up now because what they made it seem like at first is that it's going to happen right before this season started, but it's not. <laughs> They've got leases to figure out, and they have millions upon millions of dollars to pay in fines in order to leave the Big 12 conference which I'm not of the belief that the Big 12 Conference is this insane conference. It's spearheaded by Oklahoma and, and, well, not really Texas, but Oklahoma. And Texas just thinks they're really big, even though they're just a name now. Just a bunch of babies wearing orange. 2.8 GPA, career high for the team. Good job, Texas. Oh, man, Texas and the Big 12. And the Big 12 hold, did a whole season desist to letter to the e, to ESPN, letter demands ESPN, and, quote, all actions that may harm the conference and its members and that it not communicate with the Big 12 Conference executives. <laughs> I d the Big 12 is just, look, giant egg on their face, pretty much, the Big 12. And then finally, we're going to stop talking about college football. We got, we got a little bit of stuff to talk about college football. We're going to try not to, but Quinn Ewers, if you are unaware of who he is, he's like the highest rated high school quarterback ever. Like He's the top rated quarterback of all time coming out of high school. He's going to Ohio State. He is thinking about, I don't know if this is official, but it is five-star QB Quinn Ewers is leaning towards skipping his senior year to attend Ohio State. This way, he'd get a lot of NIL deals. A lot of NIL deals. He can make a buttload of money. Like Bryce Young, he's already made like $800,000 in NIL sales. And Bryce Young hasn't even played. I think Bryce Young is uber talented, and we've talked about this a thousand times. If he lives up to the talent, right, well, even right now, he's the most talented quarterback Nick Saban's ever had. Most talented quarterback. There is a difference between talent and good. I'm not going to go into that whole spiel again because if you listen to the show long enough, you know I've talked about that a lot. It's talent versus good. Bryce Young has the talent to do that. Will he do it? Who knows? So, I mean, if he doesn't pan out, he'll at least have a shit ton of money. <laughs> $800,000. He's almost at a mil. And Quinn Ewers being the highest rated high school quarterback ever with a disgusting bleach blonde mole. He looks like Joba from Brockhampton. He could be like that even before he plays a single snap at Ohio State. And C.J. Stroud, who is the, I guess, expected starter at Ohio State. I guess they haven't named a starter. At least to my knowledge, they haven't named a starter. He'll be there for probably two years, at least. He'll have good enough numbers to get drafted because if you look at the wide receivers they have at their disposal, and just the overall team, C.J. Stroud, or whoever their quarterback is this year, should have great numbers. You have the top two receivers in the 2022 NFL draft class in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. There is no re And the Master Teague at running back, you should have no issues. And Thayer Munford, two of the top tackles in the league. I can't remember the other tackles, but Thayer Munford as one of the tackles. Like this offense, if you don't have good numbers, 
This is a problem. This is what I said last year about Spencer Peters in Iowa, though, and look what happened to him. He's rated the 12th best quarterback out of 14 in the Big Ten. <laughs> so, who knows? It doesn't always pan out. Who knows? Maybe Peters balls out with less talent. Maybe he didn't want to have the talent. He didn't want his numbers, to, people to go, oh, he's only good because of the talent around him. Maybe he didn't want that, even though it was the most, you know, loaded Iowa receiving core of all time. Yeah. There are obviously receivers in Iowa that are better than Brandon Smith and Mir Smith-Marset and so on, but... The unit as a whole, there's been very few offenses in Iowa history that have been that loaded. Very few. If their quarterback plays average, they could have been one of the best teams in the Big Ten. Average. That's all we're asking. Below average, being the second, third worst quarterback in the Big 12 is not (laughs) going to get a team very far. And maybe, maybe... We see a quarterback switch up at Iowa, but who knows? We don't have, There's no one coming in named Quinn Ewers coming in. That's a five-star quarterback and the highest-rated prospect of all time in regards to quarterback position. But that's crazy. If he does skip high school, I wouldn't blame him. I mean, there's been players that have done that in the past. Nate, I don't know why this is the first one I think of, but Tate Forcier did that at Michigan. He, But usually they leave right before the end of their senior year. They graduate early and come in the spring. That's usually what they do. But this is an entire senior year. So he wouldn't play high school football either. Now, obviously, I think this means he's got good enough grades and have enough credits to graduate early, I think. Maybe, or he's just saying, screw school, I could buy this school once I get all my NIL deals. Maybe that's what he's doing. <laughs> I don't know. And then, I know I said this was the last thing we were going to talk about, but the NCAA is a bunch of idiots. I mean, they did it yet again. They did it yet again. We're talking about NIL, deal, NIL deals. I completely forgot about this happening. The NCAA has said they will not give Reggie Bush's Heisman back. Reggie Bush won't get his 2005 Heisman back after NCAA decides not to reverse penalties. Idiots. The NCAA is still trying to act like they got some sort of authority over people now. You don't. The NCAA is dying. Slowly but surely, and good riddance pretty much for everybody out there that plays college sports. Good riddance to the NCAA. I think most people can agree on that. NCAA is stupid. And as we've said before, we love the sports. We love all the different sports around the world, football, soccer, basketball, baseball, hockey, but we hate the people that run the sport. Absolutely hate the people that are in charge of the sport. Man, and yet Reggie Bush not getting his Heisman back is some bullshit. It's one of the greatest running backs, if not the greatest running back of the 21st century in college football standards, the most electrifying player in college football, reversing fields left, right, and center, beating everybody with his pure speed. Thunder and lightning with him and Lendell White? Like, come on. And you're not going to give him his Heisman back? The only thing he did was get money that I can think of. If there's something else that Reggie Bush did that I'm completely unaware of or completely naive to, I apologize. But to my knowledge, as I sit here, I think all he did was take money, right? That's all he did. To my... If there's something way worse that he did, I've yet to find it out. But maybe the NCAA knows. And they're just hiding it from everybody because... Like, oh, he did something bad, but you don't want to know what it is. Oh, man, it's pretty bad. Is it one of those situations where, oh, man, where it's something that's nothing, but the NCAA acts like it so they can feel like they have some sort of, like, right of way or something like that? Like, they feel like they can control it because they have the dirt on somebody, even though there's no dirt there, but they act like it. (laughs) Oh, man. Man, I would tell you what he did, but I have to kill you can't let this get out this is some big time shit he's got himself into maybe it's like that maybe it's exactly like that and we are all just stupid going i'll give him his heisman back and the ncaa is just trying to keep reggie bush out of prison i i doubt that's the case because the ncaa is run by a bunch of idiots so yeah hopefully reggie bush does get his heisman back eventually i mean i've always found that very weird why they go take things away from schools like it didn't happen him winning the Heisman still happened. USC winning the national championship still happened. I, did they take? They took the one from 2004, right? The year before they lost to Texas in the Rose Bowl. I think they took all the wins from that season. It's like 0-1 technically in their school <laughs> history or something like that. It still happened. Like the Fab Five, they took the, the banners away because of Chris Webber. Like, it still happened. You can't erase it from every shirt. You can delete the highlights off YouTube from your official account, but... It still happened. You have to rate. You have the men in black. Everybody and say, look into the laser and go. Pew. Actually, what you were just watching was blah blah blah. It happened. Reggie Bush won the Heisman. USC won a Natty. 
Michigan was a great basketball team in the 90s. You can't take those away from people. You just can't. (laughs) Memories are what keep sports alive. And this is where we're going to go down the sadder route, I guess. I had a whole thing that I was ready to do about quarterbacks in the NFL, like the rookie quarterbacks. I just saw a thing today that said Trey Lance is this number quarterback number two on the 49ers, which is not surprising at all. We've said this the entire time since he's been drafted, and even before that, that Jimmy Garoppolo would be there for the season. Because the, the 49ers, to my knowledge, have been pretty consistent on Jimmy Garoppolo's our starter. Jimmy Garoppolo's our starter for this season. They've been fairly consistent on that, if I remember correctly. So seeing the the update that Trey Lance is QB2 is not surprising. And also, Zach Wilson signed a deal today, so congratulations, Zach Wilson. The Jets was going to go through a thing of when each quarterback's going to start. Other than, like, Trey Lance, or uh, Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, the other three quarterbacks in this class, the first-rounders anyways, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, the first two are going to start week one. So I guess we are kind of doing this. They're starting week one. Trans will probably start week 16. Justin Fields will probably start week 8. Mac Jones probably won't start. Unless Cam Newton gets hurt. But he probably won't start this year. That's just how I'm viewing it at this point in time. But back to the memories thing. We kind of talked about this a couple shows ago. It was about the Chicago Cubs. And I've been a fan of the Chicago Cubs my entire life. I talked to my Nana earlier today. She called me, I actually, about the situation that I'm about to talk about. And we were watching the United States guitar game. She called me. I was like, I, I was sitting with Noah. I was like, I think I know exactly what she's calling me about. She's calling me about Anthony Rizzo. And then we were talking. It's like, this is the only team that all of my family can agree on. And in the world of sports, and when you have families that live in Iowa and you're from Iowa, families don't. They sometimes do, but most of the time you have different fans of different teams inside your family. Like in the NFL, my household's Bills fans. My papa is a Bears, Cowboys, Cardinals, Rams fan because of the teams Kurt Warner played for minus the Giants and then Cowboys and Bears because he grew up in Chicago and the Cowboys, he liked Roger Staubach. My dad's uncle, his family's Packers fans. My uncle, my dad's brother, one of my dad's brothers is a Falcons fan. The other one is a Steelers fan. And his family are Steelers fans. My grandpa Roger was a Steelers fan. My grandma is loosely a 49ers fan because they lived out there for about two years and she liked Joe Montana. But base that's just namely football, but baseball, we're all Cubs fans. You don't see any Yankees fans or Cardinals fans. It's like when I my Nana called and it was the same day as Rizzo getting traded and just hours after him getting traded, or an hour... I knew exactly what it was for. And that's what I loved about growing up a Chicago Cubs fan. Even though they were complete ass most of my life. I was talking about this with a friend yesterday. It was, we were going to Outback. Or no, this was the the day we were going to Outback, actually. The the whole rant I did about Outback Steakhouse on Wednesday. I was hanging out with him. We were trying to find, we were getting to Outback. And the Cubs were good. There were two years the Cubs were really good when I was growing up. Like, there's, like, the two main years. Obviously, they had the 2003 Bartman incident. But the two years after that, not exactly two years after that, but the two years they were good where they got swept by the Dodgers and they got swept by the Diamondbacks. And I think it was reversed order. But best team in baseball, around the best teams in baseball, and they get swept by the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. Little did I know that would be a precursor for what was going to happen the rest of my life with the Dodgers in the playoffs versus the Cubs, other than the year they won the World Series. But there were times where... They were just ass. And I've talked about this, about how points of this whole stretch of when the Cubs were good and the Cubs were relevant, it was like, man, I kind of miss the terrible Cubs. Because you had legit fans of the Chicago Cubs. And then when they won the World Series, it was like all these Cubs fans that you knew weren't Cubs fans came out of the woodwork. You're like, I know you're not a Cubs fan. Why the hell are you rocking a Rizzo jersey right now? I mean, it's regional. You got a team in Des Moines called the Iowa Cubs. Like, it's easy to just go, oh, I was born in Des Moines. So, I Cubs, Cubs. That's one of my reasons, but I've been that my entire life because we went to Cubs games, Iowa Cubs games growing up. And when the Cubs were bad, they were bad. We've said the, the Astros were the only thing that kept the Cubs out of last place. Like, you, you always had the Cubs being bad, but you knew they weren't the worst team in baseball. That would belong to the Astros. Because the Astros were good in the early 2000s, and then they got pretty ass as well. And then they moved to the AL, 
which seemed shocking at the time. And then obviously they had their whole great team and they're still pretty good. Even after the whole World Series thing that went on, we're not going to get into a huge discussion about that whole situation. But the Astros were bad too. It was awesome. Loved watching the Cubs. Loved watching them play the Cardinals. And then they beat the Cardinals. It was like the greatest day ever because the Cardinals were really, really good with Pools and Matt Holliday and Yachty and Wainwright and Carpenter. Like they... They were so good. And then the Cubs beat them. That was amazing. You had Kosuke Fukudome and Ramos Ramirez, Marlon Bird. Jeez, uh, who was the first baseman? Derek Lee, Darwin Barney, Starlin Castro, Giovanni Soto. <laughs> Rookie of the year, then nothing after that. Reed Johnson, Wellington Castillo. And then things started to change when they traded from this first for this first baseman from the San Diego Padres named Anthony Rizzo for Andrew Kashner, pretty much. Who, for those of you who aren't aware, was just an all-right pitcher. Now, to be fair, at that time, Rizzo was just basically seen as an all-right minor league player. So it wasn't like an absolute steal at the time. At least that's what it didn't feel. It didn't feel like it was an absolute steal. Like when the Cubs traded for Arietta and Pedro Strope from the Orioles. That didn't feel like a steal. But looking in hindsight... That was a complete steal. You got a Cy Young winner and a really good reliever for a short period of time, but a really good reliever for those periods. Like, that's a steal. You didn't really feel that with Rizzo. And then you see Rizzo in the minor leagues, and you see him start balling out. Like, he's smashing dingers. And you're intrigued by this because you look at the Chicago Cubs, and their best player, two best players, are Starlin Castro, this young up-and-coming shortstop, and Brian LaHare the first baseman, who also raked in homers at the Iowa Cubs. Smashed zingers with the Cubs. And then was an all-star. For his one year, he played actually played in Chicago. He's an all-star. And then Rizzo just keeps hitting dingers in Iowa. And then to eventually gets called to the majors, and you're like, well, shit, we got... Trying to, try to figure out how to get Anthony Rizzo and Brian LaHare on the same team. And you move Brian LaHare to right field, and Rizzo takes over at first base. And at that moment, you did not really understand what was going to happen at first base for the Chicago Cubs for the next 10 years. You didn't really think about that. You're like, okay, we got a good good prospect coming up from Iowa. He's hitting a bunch of dingers in Iowa. Maybe he's going to hit a bunch of dingers in pros. He's got a weird batting stance, though, doesn't he? But that first base, I was telling my mom this. There was no first baseman on the Cubs other than Anthony Rizzo for these 10 years. You looked at the Cubs' depth chart. It was a mixture of catchers and third basemen that would play first base whenever Rizzo needed a rest. Rizzo was always in the team. He was Mr. Consistent. Rizzo was the captain of the Chicago Cubs. Much like Derek Jeter was the captain of the Yankees, Rizzo, though he wasn't the best player on the Chicago Cubs, I mean, he was for a short period of time, but when Bryant and like Rizzo came up, then he took that role of, I'm just going to be the leader. That's exactly what he was. And not just on the field, off the field as well, with what he did in the charitable work, good Lord. For the city, for the team in general. I remember seeing an article back in like 2013 or something like that on ESPN. It was about Rizzo and Castro, who are my two favorite players, which I think at that time, most people's favorite players. So it's not really saying a lot. Those were my two favorite players. But it was, is this the last year of Rizzo and Castro? I don't know if it was exactly 2013, but it was around that time of Rizzo and Castro coming off not great years. So if the Cubs want to re-sign them or get them, if they want deals from the Cubs, they're going to have to perform. Rizzo did, and then Castro started to dip a little bit. You didn't see the same shortstop that you had from the early stage of the terrible Cubs teams, where he was by far the best player on the team and had one of the best, one of the most underrated middle infields in all of baseball with Darwin Barney at second base. Now, Barney couldn't hit for anything, for love or money, but hey, great defender. He's basically the infield version of Jason Hayward, but Hayward has a little more pop in his bat when he does connect with the baseball. I've got a Darwin Barney signed baseball, actually. I got it at an Iowa Cubs game. But then Rizzo keeps going. And Castro, as I said, kind of tailed off a little bit. He's eventually traded the Yankees, and then he goes to the Marlins, and now he's on the Nationals playing third base, and he got kind of fat. I always compare Castro to the Jay Cutler of baseball. All the talent in the world. Really lazy. 
I still love Starling Castro. He was amazing, great. When he was on, there were not a lot of better shortstops than Starling Castro. I think most Cubs fans, and oh, biased, but still, most Cubs fans can agree that Starling Castro on his day, there was a really good shortstop. And then Aston Russell came, and then moved him to second, and then Baez came up, and they traded him to Yankees. And I still, even back then, I thought Starling Castro was better than Aston Russell. And Aston Russell had a lot of really good spurts. But the problem was when he was off, he was really off. And now he's playing down in Mexico, but for different reasons, not just how bad he was, got, got, how inconsistent he was getting on the baseball field. It was more of, uh, uh, you know, off-the-field issues that were going on with Addison Russell, which good riddance pretty much. And then you, my first ever Chicago Cubs game was on August 1st, 2013, between the Los Angeles Dodgers. 6-4 to four was the final, Cubs lost. Before the game started, my dad and I are walking around Wrigleyville, and it looks completely different than what it does now. Because this was not a Wrigleyville that hosted a very good baseball team. Wrigleyville now is this amazing place. I posted a picture on Instagram when the Cubs played the Brewers? I've been to three Chicago Cubs games in my life. They were against the Dodgers, Brewers, and Padres. But I don't remember if the Padres were the last one or the Brewers were the last one. Either way, it doesn't matter. But I took a picture next to the Ernie Banks statue right outside Wrigley. And the background's just completely different. The area around it is just completely different. The first picture has no fans walking around. <laughs> I'm taking a picture by myself next to Ernie Banks. Mr. Cub. Wearing on my shoulder because we got jerseys. Because we, jerseys are expensive. And I didn't, my, I didn't have that type of money at that time, so I couldn't really do anything about it. My dad was not buying me a jersey, and I didn't have the money to at least offer, I'll pay half for it. Because that was kind of the thing we would do at times, was I'll pay for half the jersey, you pay for the other half. That was kind of the deal he'd like to make. But I didn't have any money, so I couldn't do that. So I got two jerseys. Anthony Rizzo and Junior Lake. And people might not remember Junior Lake, but he was awesome for one year. And then now he's down in Mexico as well, but just because of how bad he got at baseball, not because of anything off the field that I'm aware of. And Rizzo and Lake both hit two home runs in that game. Though they lost four to six, it, I mean, it's mostly because of the pitching. I mean, trying to watch Chris Russell start a game is not the most exciting thing in the world, but Rizzo and Lake both hit home runs. This is the before the days of Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and all those guys. This is the David DeJesus and Louis Valbuena, that Cubs team. Not the Cubs team we all grew and loved when we were good. Not the bad Cubs team that would lose to the Dodgers like that. Yasiel Puig hit a home run in the game. I couldn't tell you who else. I think Adrian Gonzalez hit a home run in the game for the Dodgers. Couldn't remember who's pitching for the Dodgers, but you could look it up. August 1st, 2013, 6-4, Cubs lose to the Dodgers. And as you take those pictures next to Ernie Banks, who is Mr. Cub, then you look like, wow, the Mr. Cub of my lifetime is Anthony Rizzo. And today, when I went to work, August 29th, I wore my Brizzo Souvenir Company shirt. So this, for those of you who aren't aware, Brizzo is a combination of Rizzo and Bryant. I know, crazy nickname, crazy thing. But this whole souvenir thing, like Brizzo Souvenir Company, they authenticate baseballs with their bats. That was their whole big thing. It was a commercial for the MLB. You had the likes of Ben Zobrist, Javi, Addison Russell, David Ross, Eddie Vedder. We're all in this commercial. And it was awesome. And you saw a relationship. These two kids, these two dudes, Bryant and Rizzo, becoming like best friends right in front of your eyes. Right in front of your eyes. Rizzo, obviously, after that article was posted, found some consistency. And in that time, tried to fight Aroldis Chapman. It is one of the greatest things... Like, out of all the great things Anthony Rizzo did for the Chicago Cubs, and on and off the field, one thing that I'll always remember, and I tell people this to this day, is when the Chicago Cubs played the Cincinnati Reds, Aroldis Chapman was the closer for the Cincinnati Reds. Reds were a good team. I think they had jo Joey Vadio was obviously there, but I think Brandon Phillips was there as well, and then obviously Chapman. The Cubs were not. Aris Mendiel Contra was the best player of that week, and Kyle Hendricks was just off his first start for the Cubs. And then Chapman comes in and throws two balls near or around Nate Shearholt's head. And then Rizzo goes out onto the field for the going into the field and just screams at Chapman. You don't mess with anybody that's on Anthony Rizzo's teams. Ever. And he's not going to back down from anybody. 
Like Chapman is a big dude. He can throw a 106 mile an hour fastball. So people are obviously going to go, well, how fast do you think he could punch if he could throw a ball 106 miles an hour? It'd probably freaking hurt. It's like, I'm still not, I'm still going to back Rizzo on this. That could be the biased fan in me, but that's your captain. That's Mr. Cub. He's not backing down from anybody. He's going to back up his players. That's one thing I really loved about Rizzo. And then the guy we mentioned a little bit before, Chris Bryant, comes into play. Baez comes up to the majors. And you have this nice core of Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant win a World Series. The last out in the 2016 World Series had to be between Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo. It had to be. It wasn't set up to go any other way. It had to be Rizzo and Bryant. Low grounder to third base. Mike Montgomery's on the mound. Dribbler down the third baseline. Bryant to Rizzo for the first World Series title in 108 years. And the weird part about this is, like I showed the Cubs posted a, a tribute video for Anthony Rizzo after this all happened, after this trade went down. Got traded to the Yankees. I don't know if I said this or not, but he got traded to the Yankees. You're watching this tribute video. I'm showing my mom. Because my Nana called my mom to tell her about Rizzo and wanted to talk to me. And mom said, call me. So talked to my Nana about Rizzo, like we said earlier. And you're watching this video. And I've never really been one that's been a crier after sporting events or get emotional really that much after sporting events. The one time I've cried after a sporting event was the Chicago Cubs in the 2016 World Series. I had like a half-hour phone conversation with my friend Spencer. I had a conversation with my dad. Met up with my roommates or my friends at the time. I guess they weren't my roommates. Talked to them about the Cubs. Woke up my roommate to tell them that the Cubs won the World Series. Phone was above the, t- the, the stream because I was using my friend Johnny's Dish Network account. And I got the update about the Rajay Davis home run before it actually happened. So I was kind of nervous about that. I think I've told that story before, but... You get the update, the Cubs win the World Series, and you kind of just, your mind goes blank. You don't really think about it because you watch so many bad baseball teams growing up. And I've, I just lived, what, 19 years up until that point? My papa never saw him win a World Series, and he's 77, I think. And he never seen them win a World Series. He suffered a lot longer than I have, but it still hits the same. Your team that you've grown up watching with how bad they were and Rizzo being on the 100 lost teams that they had that were just above the Houston Astros in the standings. Cubs won 50 games, the Astros won 47. That's how it was, and I loved that. (laughs) Rizzo was on those teams. Him and Travis Wood were the two players on those 100 lost teams that won that World Series. And watching Rizzo get that last out from Bryant was awesome. Then as you're watching this video, and obviously they play that final play because you're telling my mom that, of course it had to be Bryant to Rizzo. And you never, this is why, why I love and hate sports. Because people you've never met ever in your life, they have no idea you exist. And it's not, their, I mean, they're professional baseball players. I'm just some loser doing a podcast in my parents' basement. They don't know who I am. I know who they are. You shouldn't cry or get emotional after people you have, they have no idea who you are. But that's what sports does because they, it surrounds everything you do. For me, who hosts a podcast, who's gone to baseball games, who's watched these players go into these situations, coming back from a 3-1 deficit to win the World Series, and watching what Rizzo did up until that point and what he's done since and what he's going to continue to do, there's no reason for me to get emotional after that. But it is. It's a very emotional time with your favorite team, your favorite players. My passwords spoil, I mean, I guess if you break it, it's not the entire password, but my passwords all have 44 in it. I have two Anthony Rizzo jerseys, mostly because my dad forgot, or I think three, because <laughs> I have one really thick one from when he was first started playing with the Cubs, and then two majestic ones, like those thinner ones, because I got one myself, and then my dad got me one <laughs> for Christmas, and he completely forgot he had it. So now my dad and I both have Rizzo jerseys. But man, and then to cap it all off with the Rizzo thing and Bryant thing, watching Bryant sit in the dugout after the game, watching his post-game press conference yesterday or two days, yeah, yesterday, it hurts. 
and I ju- I said it was over a couple days ago. It is now officially over. That was just after the update that the Cubs will be sellers. Now it's over. The World Series team is done. Rizzo's gone. The captain is gone. Not, I was going to say arguably, he is one of the, if not the greatest Cub of my lifetime. Not just for what he did on the field, his impact on and off the field. And the three players that are getting linked with moves could all be gone. And they have no clue who I am. But I get emotional thinking about it. Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. Three players that have done a lot (laughs) for Yeah. (laughs) I don't I don't know how to describe it. I'm trying not... I'm just trying to collect myself a little bit. Because I remember... I saw this on Twitter yeah, a couple days ago. Baez just hit a home run. Rizzo and... Ah, uh, jeez. <laughs> Rizzo and Brian are waiting at home plate. Baez hits a home run. And those three celebrate together. And you see all these clips of those three talking to each other. And those three talking about each other. And... It's hard. <laughs> it's just it's just a team of people that don't know you exist, but it sh- it it makes you feel something. And for watching how bad this team was growing up to winning a World Series, and I know I'm a spoiled Cubs fan because I'm only 23 years old. I didn't sit through 108 years. I sat through like 19 years of not winning a World Series. I didn't suffer as much as my papa did or his parents did. But now it's over, and <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. I've. And then what kind of made it worse or sad, more emotional is the fact that they didn't get their proper send off, Brian and Rizzo, because those two are gone. I mean, Rizzo was already gone. He's already gone, but Brian's going to be gone soon. Didn't get their. Didn't play in the last game. I don't know if it had something to do. With the Yankees and whoever did, is getting Bryant had something to say about don't get him hurt before he plays a game for us. We're not trading for you unless he if he gets hurt. We're not trading with you. So I don't know if it was that. And David Ross who has a great relationship with Rizzo. Rizzo really, literally cried over after they won the World Series in 2016. You'd think that there would be something there that would put Rizzo and Bryant back in the game to get a proper standing ovation for everything they've done. For the Chicago Cubs. I'm just talking about Rizzo. I told my mom this. I told my friends this. I've been saying this for like the past two years. I've been expecting Bryant to leave for a while now. I This is nothing like new that Bryant's getting traded. Bryant's been the face of the Chicago Cubs ever since pretty much he came to the league. There was a billboard outside of Wrigley Field before he even stepped foot in Wrigley. When Mike Olt was third base for the Chicago Cubs. And Rizzo Bryant was playing down in Iowa. And then he won Rookie of the Year, and then he won MVP, and then he won the World Series, then he threw the ball to Rizzo, almost overthrew him, but got the ball to Rizzo. I've expected Brian to leave. I'd not expect Rizzo to leave. Just because he is the Chicago Cubs. For my lifetime, the, the, the guy is Rizzo. Fans love Rizzo. Everybody loves Rizzo. For what he's done in charity, I just keep repeating myself because I just... I just don't know. You get lost for words in these types of situations. And to get little to nothing back for him, I, I hope Vizcano and Alcantara turn into something, but I'm not excited by them as they're... At least Vizcano is a single-A player. I don't know where Alcantara is. But for one of the greatest Cubs players of all time, and yes, of all time, that's... You don't like to see that. The fact that it's the Yankees makes it worse you have three you have four former Cubs players playing for the Yankees right now Rizzo DJ LeMahieu Gliber Torres and Aroldis Chapman that I can think of there's probably there might be even more that I can't think of right now 
And then Bryant probably be gone sometime today for you guys, July 30th, which is the trade deadline. And I changed my background on my phone. Of It's a picture of Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. The three greatest players of my lifetime in Chicago Cubs history. In my 23 years on this earth, you can argue like Kerry Wood, but even Kerry Wood was super inconsistent. Sammy Sosa, but he's got a lot of issues with the steroids and the cork bat thing. Alfonso Soriano, maybe. Aramis Ramirez will get some fans to jump. But these three, Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant in any order you want, are the three greatest Cubs players of the 21st century. And I might be romanticizing the situation because I know they're going to be leaving. Baez, maybe not. I don't know about the whole Baez thing, if he's leaving at the end of the season or not. I don't know. Someone's going to give him a lot of money. I hope he stays in Chicago because there's not a lot of players as exciting as Javier Baez. But those three are amazing players. They all got each other. They came up together, and I, I there's an audio clip of Chris Bryant talking about how he wants to stay on the same team as these guys for the rest of his career, because so that's all you know. Now it's not happening, because not all of them are going to the Yankees. And I would cry if all of them went to the Yankees. <laughs> I can't have them all in the Yankees. There's a picture of Bryant and Rizzo hugging. You got the whole Bay vs. Ball player thing with Rizzo and Bryant on the Cubs YouTube channel. You've got the funny montages of Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo called the bullpen with Bryant and Rizzo. The Brizzo commercial. And now it's just memories now. Good memories. Nothing, nothing bad. Nothing bad. Ten years ago, you would have said Cubs win one World Series, everything's fine. Now you don't win more than one, everything gets a little topsy-turvy. In regards to expectations after the said World Series. And now all those players you won with are due contracts. And now they're all getting traded. Hopefully there is a chance, though, they come back in free agency. I think Rizzo comes back. I don't think we see Brian in a Cubs uniform again. Just my gut opinion, gut, my gut feeling on the situation. I think Rizzo could come back. Bryant, I would love to see him come back. I don't know if he will, which hurts. Because, man, I would love to see these guys, Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez, play their entire careers in Chicago. But I, it's just not logical. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm just staring, I'm just, <laughs> I got my camera roll open, and I'm looking at that picture of Baez, Brian Rizzo, and I just, I just smile, <laughs> I didn't think I'd get like this, I didn't think I'd get as teary-eyed choked up talking about this as I am, but man, these guys don't know who I am, but Thank you, I guess. They're never going to hear this, but... That one night in November of 2016 was the happiest moment of my sports life. And a lot of people. A lot of people. But yeah. Whew. <laughs> this has gone on for a lot longer than I was anticipating it to, but thank you. Yeah, that's all. I, I think that's all I've got. And it's just a trophy. Like, remember, Rob, Rob Manfred even said it. It's just a trophy. <laughs> but it's a, it's historic. You've never seen your team do it. You've been told your entire life your team's never going to do it. They're the lovable losers. You're down 3-1 in the World Series, and they just didn't quit. And then you have Rizzo at the po the parade crying over David Ross. and Yeah. I'm going to stop now before I get too <laughs> It's been going on long enough. I've got to stop this before I get myself way too off topic. Uh, But yeah. If you're not a Cubs fan, you probably don't understand, or maybe you do, but these are the three greatest players in my lifetime for the Chicago Cubs. Three of the, of the, just the greatest memories I've ever had watching these three. Joy, pain, watching Brian get hurt, 
Watching Rizzo play on these bad teams, Baez swinging an 0-2 slider. But then you got the magical slides, the tags, the home runs, the plays in the field, the, the World Series, the lifting of the trophy. I remember watching on Facebook Live, because that's for some reason that's where they played it, of the flag raising and the Rizzo carrying out the World Series trophy. Oh, man. Great, great memories watching the Chicago Cubs. And I will never forget them. They're probably not going to be that good anymore, but hey, this happened. You can't erase it. There's nothing that will erase this. Cubs won the World Series. Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. Thank you. If you're all gone by when this show's out, dang, but you did a lot. Not just on the field, off it too. You guys are great people. They'll never hear this. <laughs> That's the. I feel like I'm talking to them. I'm not. I'm not talking to them at all. I can't. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll have another United States preview coming up for you on Saturday. So make sure you tune into that game. Is on Sunday. United States will be taking on either Mexico or Canada, which the score is one to one right now in the 77th minute. Buchanan just scored for Canada. And yeah, <laughs> that's all I've got for you today. Rizzo, good luck in New York. Good luck with the Yankees. The only person I'll ever say good luck with the Yankees on. One of the greatest Chicago Cubs of all time. And I will see you all later. Peace.